All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite city. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you! This is my boomstick! What's your favorite scary movie? Good evening, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Daniel Labana. And I'm David Uyoa. And we are here with episode two of the new year, episode two of season four, episode two of the Apocalypse Trilogy. Hell of a way to kick uh, this new season off. Yeah, I think that this is, uh, I don't have good ideas often. Uh, let, let me take that back i don't have ideas often when i do they're rarely good um and uh to give credit where credit is due it was daniel's idea to do the thing and right. i said hey that's great why don't we capitalize on that and just kind of roll into the other apocalypse trilogy movies uh because i don't know when we're gonna get around to them right and there's no time like the present that's what i say so uh so here we are with uh, the second installment of the Apocalypse Trilogy. If you did not listen to the first one, definitely go back and listen to that. But it isn't necessary because, as we talked about last episode, the Apocalypse Trilogy does not follow a story. It follows themes, follows ideas. And so uh, we're here to talk about Prince of Darkness. Um, and Prince of Darkness is... I think a really interesting movie because yes. it is like very, very Carpenter. It feels like a John Carpenter movie, um, but it's very unlike anything he's done before. Yeah. So um, a couple questions to you, Daniel. First, um, did you like it? Second, how does this work as a follow up to the thing? And third, how does it work on its own? Okay, so um, start with did I like it? So in the, in the 24 hours since I've seen this movie, I have been back and forth a lot. And not just back and forth like did I kind of like it, did I not really like it. Back and forth like was this movie garbage or did <laughs> I love it, right? Like I – and and I'm still not settled, but I've got 90 minutes, right? So I I enjoyed the the experience of watching it. I can say that right now. The the sitting down and watching this movie and and ingesting it for what it was, I thoroughly enjoyed that. There was I had no idea what to expect from this one. Like I said last week, I've seen the thing. I've seen Mouth of Madness. This is the one that was brand new to me. And so I uh I didn't do like like when i was doing the post to like say that we were going to watch it i was like man i don't even really know what to tag in this one like i don't know what sort of monsters or what we're up against like i tagged like mm -hmm. hashtag priest because i can see that on the cover right? <laughs> and so um and so i i went into it this is this is the blindest i've been going into a movie ever i think for this oh, show wow. okay uh and so i i enjoyed the experience did i enjoy the movie i'm not sure yet um, this discussion uh, for for the next little bit is going to affect that. Uh, I think it's I think it's an amazing follow up to the thing, 
when you take this idea of, all right, here's another way the world may end, right? And if there's anything we learned from the thing, it's not, uh, he, John Carpenter wants the world to go out in a blaze of glory. John, <laughs> John, John Carpenter's not giving it the old uh, I am legend where it's just like, and then nature took everything back. Right. Hell no. There's no, no John, quiet dignity here. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> um, John Carpenter has decided that when the world ends, um, it's with thunderous applause. Uh, so, I I, like I I think it was I think it was a was a great follow up to that. And man, does this movie work on its own? Yeah, this shit's scary. Um, it's it's a very different scary than the thing. Uh, the the score on this adds a lot to how scary it is. Yeah, this like what like every time I start to slide away from maybe not liking it, it's like, mm, but that score though, like <laughs> it's it's it was it, I mm, I the bold statement, but but I honestly think that to to this point, it, it, this may be my favorite scored Carpenter movie. It, it just it just Ooh. it's so. It's so raw and so weird. And yeah. so I think it stands alone great. I think that there's a lot to kind of digest and dissect here, but it's I, I did enjoy it. And yeah, I think it's I think it's a great follow-up. I think it stands alone really well. Um I the, there's no entry in the apocalypse trilogy that I dislike. Right. I'm just gonna go out there uh and say it. Um it's going to be you said last week that it was going to be us gushing over the thing for an hour and a half. Um, the next two weeks, it's going to be the same thing. Right. I pray at the altar of John Carpenter. Yeah. I even appreciate vampires. Yes. Oh, <laughs> not a good movie, but it's a great movie. Right. <laughs> um, there, there is something undeniably carpenter about this. There's a darkness to it. There's a brutality to it. There's a meanness to it. Carpenter is a mean director. He's, yeah. he's not nice to his characters. He's not nice to his audience. He takes his innermost demons and puts them on display for you. And he does it visually. He does it auditorily. He does it in every which way that he can. And it it's uh it's good that he's fucking brilliant. Because right. he can write, he can direct, he can uh he can compose music. Um I know that he has a real big hand in the editing process, although he's not usually the editor on his films. So this this guy, I mean, he's like Ari Aster level involvement in in his work. And when that happens you get such a great fingerprint for for a director you really start to see his dna and and it's present here in the same way that it's present in like an action thriller like assault on precinct 13 in the same way that it's present in a slasher like uh halloween in the same way that it's present in like an action comedy like big trouble in little china they right. all feel like carpenter and so does this work as a follow-up to the thing? Absolutely it does. It scares me in very similar ways. Does it work on its own? Yeah, because it also scares me in new ways, in different ways than the thing did. And I think that this is terrifying. There's parts of this movie that just thinking about it now make me get goosebumps. Like I'm looking down at my arm right now and I've got goosebumps because I'm thinking about something. It's actually on the screen. 
right now right. if you're watching live that shared dream fuck that's scary oh it's really God. really scary and it's one of those things that's largely unexplored in the movie and because it's so unexplored and so unexplained it makes it even scarier yes so um i i love everything about this movie how high i'm gonna go on my rating i don't know yet but i can tell you that this is a movie that works for me in a big big way yeah i mean what's what's incredible about this movie is is how complex it is mm -hmm. uh you know the 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 thing is pretty straightforward there's yep. a thing and it's trying to kill us all so it can take over the world it can look like anything go this movie has a really bold combination of sci-fi mm -hmm. of of spiritualistic fantasy if yep. you can call it that and it and it, it 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 weaves these things which is what's amazing it's not it's not one of those things where the first half of this movie is a sci-fi and then it gets all preachy or anything like that it's, right it's perfect it's both of those things at the same time does does that work for you the the intermingling and the weaving of sci-fi and these very real spiritual references i think it does for me because uh something that we've spoken about on the show before i grew up in a devoutly catholic home uh i went to catholic school for uh the majority of my life and so the um the the the, the catholic faith the christian faith is something that is uh a part of me Despite the fact that I don't really practice uh, anymore, I wouldn't call myself a believer. Um, that is a part of who I am, uh, even culturally. Uh, being Latino, like Christianity is part of who you are, right? right? Like the, the Spaniards conquered all of Latin America. You know, it was accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or die at the stake. Right. And, uh, and so it was like, yeah, dude, uh, he's God. Sure, whatever. Yeah, Just don't Christo, kill me, right? <laughs> yeah, Jesus, uh, Jesus Cristo and uh, and Lorena, right? The queen. <laughs> that's 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 it. You know, God and country, and um, so it's it's a it's a part of me. It's a part of who I am, and so there will always be uh, a very primal part of me that is scared by religious horror, anything that deals with. Uh, with religion is going to hit me on some level, despite the fact that I don't put any stock in it today. Right. That little like primeval goo, primordial goo that's back in my head somewhere is like, no, but like, what if? Right. <laughs> uh, because it's because it'll always be there. Uh, and, and then my brain kicks in and is like, shut up, you fucking idiot. You don't believe in this shit. But. <laughs> It's 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 incredible. It's incredible the way that he weaves um, the theology with the science to create something totally new. It's a, a, a I, I am a little ashamed to say that I saw this with my eight year old. OK, Link loves horror movies. Uh, we've talked about this before. He's seen some crazy shit. I think this is the one that finally fucked him up. Um, I, think he, <laughs> I, I think I broke my kid. Uh, <laughs> but he was really interested in that um, that interplay of religion with science fiction, the idea that it was aliens, but they were gods and demons. And um, it's it was something that really scared him. Um, so I 
for me, yeah, man, this this works. This this like intermingling of of uh, of genre. How about for you? Yeah. So it, it that's that's it, right? He, you're absolutely right in saying it's such it's it's good for John Carpenter that he's as smart as he is and as good as he is at the mm-hmm. things that he does. Because this is a bag that could have very easily been fumbled. Yeah. Uh, you know, Stigmata attempted something kind of along the lines of this and wasn't done to the depth and the level of precision that this was to make it something that, that lasts. End of uh, days. Yeah, end of days. Yeah. There we go. These types of things are, are things that, that people remember. You mentioned it. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember that mm-hmm. one. Right. But then you but, you know, this movie's 35 years old. Uh, Stigmata came out what early 2000, 2001, something like that, yeah, right. So, in 10 years, I doubt we're going to be doing an episode where we're going to be like, Oh my god, it's 35th anniversary of Stigmata, we need to talk about that, <laughs> right? Um, so this movie conquers but, those things. I mean, we are going to do end of days at some point because oh. if, I can, if I can do a Schwarzenegger episode, I will Here find a way of, of arguing that it is a you know true and true horror movie, love it. So, it's it's amazing that you can look at this movie in two starkly different ways. And, and I feel like you, there's a valid argument for either. I think that there's one way to look at this where you say he referenced, but John Carpenter referenced, but kind of skirted a lot of the religious stuff. And it mm-hmm. was just there to, to act as this, this deus ex, this MacGuffin yeah. uh, that, that would keep the plot moving forward. And, and I think that there's a solid argument for that. But I don't think it's the right one. I think the one is here is that John Carpenter approached religion very analytically, which Mm -hmm. is something that we we tend to think of those two things as being so diverse that you don't do one with the other. You don't scientifically look at religion because then the onion unravels too quickly. Right. And I think that he did a really good job of doing just that. He approached this this theological idea of uh jesus and god are aliens and and so is satan and all of this but then he he did it under the guise of bringing in 13 scientists to break it down and then was able to give us all of these different things and i think it's really short-sighted to be one of these people who says he skirted the idea of religion i i don't think he did I think that he broke it down in a way that's going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, on our Instagram, um, uh, Adam Condra, who did the episode with mm-hmm. us for X, he talked about how much he likes this movie. And he's the principal of a, uh, I want to say it's an Orthodox school, I believe. Mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, and he was talking about how good this is. But he's a guy I know who, while he is very religious, is also always willing to talk about it in a, in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting to me just to get that comment from him about how much he liked it, because I think that when you start to combine science and religion, you you get people who are very religious who get really uncomfortable with it. And I think you get people who are really scientific who get too gung ho about it and view it as a, a way to deconstruct religion. Right. And, and I think that what John Carpenter did here was show us that. There can be a world where these things can exist simultaneously. Mm-hmm. These people can work together to accomplish an end goal without just shitting on the other one, which is 
so often what those types of things lead to. Like, I always have to tell people, I'm like, yes, I'm an atheist, but I'm not like a militant atheist is what I always say. Right. Like (laughs) I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one of those people who's like, I'm an atheist debate me. No, I don't want to. I, yeah. I don't want to like, it's just, that's, that's I don't, not, I don't that's care. Yeah. I just, yeah. I just don't care. I'm an apathetic atheist. If right. That's right. <laughs> uh, and so he did this really great job where it, from the religious side, the goo has telekinesis and you can be mm-hmm. like, well, yes, that's just the power of the devil. But then he's got scientific equipment. That's like, it's sending out this weird, you know, pulse of energy that's that's directed and, uh, enough that it could probably move something. And so they use the phrase telekinesis, but they also use the science to kind of explain how those two things can go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that people are reluctant to explore, rightfully so, because it's something that's really hard to do. I think that uh, that's a fantastic point. Um, and I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that... Um, Religion is a very personal thing. Right. Um, and uh, I heard a lot growing up in the church that um, religion was not a buffet where you could uh, say, well, I accept this and accept this other thing that the, um, you know, the religious dogma is what it is. Right. You don't get to cherry pick. Right. And um as much as people say that, like people do that all the time, <laughs> it's, you it's know, constant. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, like, um, you know, show me a um, religious person and I'll show you someone who disagrees with something. Right. In, yeah. In, people, in the theology. Yeah. People get really upset when you're like, oh, well, if you're just believing everything, here's this line from the Old Testament. Oh, right. Well. Yeah. Oh, so I can't pee now. <laughs> oh, yeah, gotcha. exactly. Yeah. Right, Thanks, well, it's Leviticus. The, it's all the same Bible, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um. So it's when you're tackling a subject matter that is so personal, um, you're risking losing your audience. Yeah, it's it's like as a teacher, I don't bring up politics in class because I know that the moment that I make a political statement, I'm going to lose half of my class. And yeah. you you, you kind of don't want to put yourself in that position because it's a really difficult position to be in. Because no matter what the point you're trying to make is, you've lost your that that base, whatever that base is. But Carpenter says, "Fuck it, I'm going to do it," um, and he approaches religion from a very literary standpoint. It's like there there is there is a scripture. And scripture is literature. So um, is there a, a Satan? Yeah. But it's not exactly what you think. You were told right. this because it would explain it to you in a way that was easy to accept. Was there a Jesus? Yeah. Was he what you thought he was? No. But let me show you what he really was so that you can better understand. So he frames religion. So he doesn't he doesn't ever really contradict anything. He's just framing it in a new way. Um, And and sometimes I find I mean. Photographs are like that. You can look at something in one light and then change the lighting. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, fuck, I didn't see that before. Or look at something from a different angle. And you're looking at the same exact thing. 
And so he he does approach it with reverence in a way because literature is something that should be approached with reverence. And so he never approaches it as like this is fantasy or this is bullshit. He right. approaches it from this is literature. This is and, and literature can be analyzed and literature can be um synthesized and literature can be anything and so that's that's the approach that he takes and i really really like that because number one it allows him to do what he wants with the material and number two it, it does allow him to explore something on a personal level uh this is why midnight mass will always be my favorite yeah. of the mike flanagan shows uh as great as the haunting of hill house is because it is great it doesn't speak to me on a personal level the way that Midnight Mass does. And when you can reach someone on a personal level, you're going to do amazing things with that story for them. So I don't think that this is the kind of movie that has mass appeal because if you don't respond to that religious aspect, then, well, it's just a movie. But if you do, whether you grew up religious or are religious or are interested in religion, then this hits on a totally different level. And you don't even need to be really religious. You just have to accept that there's a mythology that is being explored. Very similar to Greek mythology, right? When I teach mythology in class, that's what you got to go over, right? Right. Um, so like, was there really a Mount Olympus with all of these gods? No, we would know. It yeah, would have yeah, been discovered. Yeah, There'd be some that. evidence. Yeah. But why then? Why do these stories exist? Well, because people needed a way to explain the natural world around them. Yeah. And so why would Christian mythology, and that's a term that really it, bugs it, people out. Oh, yeah. It drives people insane. It, but it is. That, mm -hmm. that, that is what, it, what, what we're discussing here is a mythology. Um, whether you put stock in it or not, it's a mythology, right? Um, so how does that help tell this story? I think it helps tell it in an amazing way because you have the complexity of all the stuff. It, you're right. It is the total reverse of the thing. The thing explores some really complex issues and topics themes with a really simple story and this does the complete opposite right i i think that i think that one of the coolest and most telling things about the story that we get here in prince of darkness is this idea that they've got this book that they have to translate and yeah. inside the book there's constant footnotes and like mm -hmm. and and writing on top of in different languages and it's very reminiscent of that idea that there have been umpteen you know versions of the bible Right. right. And and things have been removed and they've been added. And King James just got in there and added his own shit, like just just because it made him seem better or worked better for what mm -hmm. he was wanted to do with his life. And it, it's something that's constantly being revised in this idea of uh, you. You can you can make a very similar, you know, like this. It's like that argument of of whether or not something is, is like a living, breathing document. Mm -hmm. Right. That that argument you have to have with with libertarians all the time about the Constitution. Right. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, no, no. It's it's great. And yes, it's on paper. But also we as a people uh, have to acknowledge that the times change in 250 right. years. And so I loved that instead of it being like this one thing, 
like things were written directly on top of other things. And mm -hmm. there were other languages. Made me go find out what Coptic was. By the way, it's a language from ancient Egypt mm -hmm. that was eventually replaced by Arabic. But um, you know where I learned that? No. The mummy. I don't remember that from the mummy. Okay. Yeah. Well, there we go. Uh, um, oh, wait. Hang on a second. We're talking about different mummies. Oh, you're talking about the mummy. The <laughs> I'm mummy. talking about the universal mummy. Got it. Uh, yeah. The original, like 1933 or whatever. Right. Yeah. So it, it was it was really cool to to have them have to break this down, but they're having to break down all the levels of it because it's been going on for so long. They're having to kind of pull these things apart mm -hmm. and and find the connective tissue and and which ones kind of make the most sense and which ones are the newest, which ones are the most researched, things like that. I thought that that was a really telling part of this when it comes to the fact that, like I said, I think that, I think that you're just completely selling this movie short to say that he worked his way around these things by bringing the science in. I think that when you, when you take the time to look at what he did with all of it, you, like you said, he was approaching it, as literature mm -hmm. and and as something that is there um and that that needs to be analyzed it deserves to be analyzed and uh that's what makes some of the character dynamics so so good especially yeah. um between donald pleasance and victor wong like the priest and and yeah. professor beard they're they had it, it, it's it's a perfect odd couple yeah they really are because there was a mutual respect there but they both didn't really care too much about the, they both knew what nothing the other one said was going to change their mind, right. but they didn't, they didn't, you know, just, just constantly dunk on the other one's beliefs. It was, they, they did, they just had pleasant conversations, which believe it or not is a thing that people can do. And I know that what I know, I, I know that this happens all the time on this show. No. We, have to, we have to tell people who might be listening, but believe it or not, <laughs> It's possible to just have a pleasant conversation where you you plead your case, the other person pleads theirs, and then you just walk away more enlightened on what somebody else thinks, and uh, and and that's what we got out of those two. Uh, and and I know we're gonna get to some character stuff uh, later, but there's just there's there's so many cool things about this story. I love when we're talking about the the blending of religion and and science. This idea of the the dream that's not a dream. Yeah. Right. That is that is this beautiful, horribly creepy thing that that crawls in and out of this movie that's that gives some scientific credence to the idea of prophecy, which is really cool. And what did they use to give that scientific credence to it? The old Star Trek standby of tachyons. Yeah, <laughs> I, I if I, I love Star Trek. But if they ever painted themselves into a corner, tachyons got them out of that corner. Yeah. Be why? Because nobody really actually knows what the fuck a tachyon is. Like, it's a real scientific word. Right. But the, 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 it's, it's also more of a, more of a theory than, than right. anything that anybody can prove. So it's this great deus ex to bail you out of these things. I mean, it literally just means speed thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's great. The speedy thing. And yeah. so it's like, okay, well. <laughs> Well, what if, you know, I believe, and, and, you know, they, they kind of figured out and they're like, so what if, you know, and, and however many years from now, a scientist with advanced technology figures out the exact point to send something back through time, but not space. And they could beam these things through time with tachyons. And now suddenly you don't have to 
completely uh, dispel the idea of prophecy. Mm-hmm. You just have a reason why prophecy could be believed by more people. And that idea really sums up a lot of the things that it seems like John Carpenter was trying to do in this movie, which is what if there, what if there was a more tangible aspect to religion, right? Cause like you were saying, it's not a buffet, you know, mm-hmm. you can't cherry pick. And, and so many people who, who do cross that line into being atheist, it, it comes down to the, you know, like, where's the proof. Mm-hmm. And and I just I, I want something I can put my hands on. And I think that in this movie, that's kind of what he did. He took a lot of things that are theoretical. There's this there's this idea that once there was a Satan, but now he's just kind of this ethereal thing mm-hmm. that exists in some other plane. And he was like, no, Satan's a real thing. He's a vat of green goo and he's here. <laughs> And this one, this one group of guys have been tasked with keeping him. Look, there's your Satan. And look at how evil it is. Look at the terrible things it does to people. There's your proof. Hands mm-hmm. on. We found Satan. And he's a, he, like I said, he's a vat of goo. It's a bold-ass move. But I would expect nothing less from John Carpenter. Well, and there's a lot of what you're talking about, I think, is hinted at in a conversation that happens really early in the movie uh between um between mustache and redhead between mustache <laughs> and redhead yeah um and i'm, I'm looking up their brian names and now. catherine brian and catherine that's it yeah between brian and catherine and uh oh my god is that actress a fucking smoke show Woo. Yeah. um i got a thing for redheads and uh and she has got it um don't know what she looks like today, but mm, I can almost guarantee that she she could still get it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> could be wrong. Um, they have a conversation really early on where um, they are uh, both physicists, but they are on opposite ends of what their area of expertise is. One is a theoretical physicist and the other is an applied physicist. Um, and you could not get two people that are further apart in what they're studying, in what their goals are, in in their professional life. And when he asks her, well, if you're like a, a, a theorist, like why um, or if you're into applied, right. um, why are you here? And she says, I really want to know about what makes things work. Because yeah. when I when, when I think I have it, it slips away from me, and I really want to know what makes things tick, so that I can be better about applying it. And I think that that's really what this movie is about. This movie is about discovering what is it that makes us afraid of the end, and yeah, yeah, and 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 why is it that we're all afraid of the end and maybe it's because there is um some you know um like revenge of the archon style star trek episode where there's like some computer at the end of time that's just beaming (laughs) tachyons and you know trying to warn us against something or maybe it's just human instinct i don't know but we all fear the end of days and whether it's some sort of like alien creature that comes to earth and can mimic us perfectly or whether it is 
an alien Satan that can um, like infect you with like some sort of um, like old school zombieism. Right. I don't know. And uh, and you don't know and we don't know and Carpenter doesn't know, but it's a really interesting way to explore that. I also think that when you look at this movie came out in 87. Yeah. And I think it was a good year. Yeah. There's a really interesting parallel to be drawn here to whether or not John Carpenter was kind of exploring the idea of something like the AIDS epidemic, Mm -hmm. Uh, because the, this, this evil is transmitted through them spitting in each other's mouths. Yeah. Essentially. And and this was the you know the the eighties is when this shit was hitting hard and they yeah. still they still weren't sure you didn't know if it was safe to be in a room with somebody that had AIDS mm. and so I, I I wonder if if that kind of influenced what he was doing too with with all of that going on um, this idea of the 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 share of bodily fluids being something that could share. You know what? There, you know, there was a point in the '80s where they were convinced AIDS was was the end. Like we right. were all going to get it at some point, and that was that was going to be our last note in history. And so there's 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 an interesting idea to be had in whether or not the rise of AIDS also in, um, affected the way that he went about writing this and 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 moving through how because also when you look at what happened to these people when they got infected they had these huge open lesions start to open on their skin Mm -hmm. and and things that that people were seeing in aids victims they were seeing these things in real life and that was kind of happening there i don't think that he was trying to make a statement about uh about the aids epidemic one way or the other i do just wonder if it was influential in the way that this all kind of came across. I think that th- there's, there's a, there's, there's a moment in this where, um, where uh, the, the priest is Donald Pleasance is talking and he, he has this kind of revelation where he, it seems like it's maybe the first time he's saying it out loud. Mm-hmm. And that is that, you know, everything that he, that he, he refers to priests and, uh, and men of religion as salesmen. And that they they found right. a story and they found a product that that or they found a story that sold their product well. And while it wasn't what they all knew to be the truth, that it was what they found was going to reach the people. It's that idea that that we as humans are very self-centered. It, it's in our nature. But in the in the seven, eight billion years that the world's been around and and Earth being this one tiny blue dot, humanity's just a blip in the mm-hmm. the unfathomable, you know, uh, a- expansion of time and space. A- and they he kind of has this grand revelation in that moment, sitting in the lab with all these scientists. And it was really interesting to see him say that and then not have any of the scientists be like, ha ha, we won. Right. Which, which, which would have been real easy to do in that moment if you were one of these militant people, but it was presented in such a somber way that it just kind of hit everybody, the believers, the non-believers, everyone in the group, all just kind of took in what he was saying, and you could tell it was this really deconstructive moment in his faith and his life, 
and and, and man, it, it was it was delivered in a way that that I don't know that a lot of people could have done as no, well that's as man. Donald Pleasance. Man, he he destroyed that moment. It was so good, and it was just that that's where I kept going. It's like every time I want to say like, okay, this was kind of nonsensical, or I kind of didn't like that. I get back to the depth that this movie mm-hmm. gave us, and I'm just. I'm remarkably impressed every time. Well, um, you're starting to get at something that um, we should move into, which is our cast of characters here, which I'm calling class roster, uh, primarily because we have an entire class of postgrads uh, <laughs> who are uh, who are here to uh, to try to save the day, and so um, there are some fantastic performances here. Uh, but very similar to the thing, there's not an awful lot of characters here, uh, more than in the thing, certainly. But um, we're kind of limited to very few settings um, and, and very few characters. Is there any one or two or three or I mean, whatever, man, you know, you, right. You can talk about as many as you want that uh, stick out at you. Uh, so. Uh, two, two for very different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, one was one that was just really interesting to me um, because of like some research that I ended up in going. So Dirk Blocker, who played uh, Mullins, I kept mm-hmm. thinking that that guy looked oddly familiar, but I couldn't place why. And so when I went and looked, he's the old guy from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, one of like the incompetent cops who's just there on the side. Yeah. Right. Which I just and then I was like, okay, yeah, I see it now. I get it. And that was really cool. He's always looked that way. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> obviously. Right. Yeah. So that, that one was just interesting because I, it, I saw it. But what really got interesting about that one was I never realized his dad was Haas from Bonanza. Oh, that I didn't know. Yes. Uh, Dirk Blocker's dad um, is Dan Blocker. I believe is his. Oh my god, name. and they're identical. Yes, and he was hot <laughs> on Bonanza. And I, I was can't like, believe I never. And then as soon together. as I saw them side by side, I was like, "How did I never make that connection?" Yeah. So. <laughs> wow, I'm an idiot. Yeah, exactly <laughs> how I felt. Um, so that that was just interesting. But man, if I had to pick one character, um, that that I just absolutely loved, it was uh Jesse Ferguson as as Calder. Man, I, oh. God, I loved him. I love that, that at the beginning, like he had, he had that voice that was very commanding when he was talking, when you first meet him and, and he's very buttoned up and put together. Yeah. And then once he gets infected, man, we saw with everybody, we saw them go from being regular guy, good guy, scientist to being minion of evil. Right. With Calder, we got, a a a full descent into insanity yeah. we got this amazing th- where we see him and he gets attacked and he gets the spit in his mouth and uh which by the way it was the only time that there was like direct mouth to mouth sharing of the goo uh yeah. was when, like every other time that it was it was spitting he it actually was kind of hot a little bit, a little bit. Um, but, uh, and so he, we go from seeing that to the next time we see him, he's pouring sweat and walking up the stairs singing Amazing Grace right. in this really haunting cadence. It's this real slow, you know, like spiritual style uh, of, of Amazing Grace. And 
and you, he breaks off a piece of the stairs and you think, oh, we're one of them's about to go ham on all these scientists. But no, he takes it to his own throat. And then, and you're like, oh man, he killed himself. That's crazy. And then he's back. And you get that moment where he's staring in the mirror. And at the time, you don't know why. Eventually, the mirrors do come into play. Mm -hmm. But he's just staring in the mirror. And that laugh, that weird scary. giggle, like hectic nonsense that's coming out of his mouth is record that shit and play it on a loop somewhere in a haunted house. That's no, what it is that's what a scary <laughs> laugh sounds like that he did such an amazing job and he is one that i immediately recognized jesse ferguson because of his role in boys in the hood mm -hmm. uh is is a guy that i immediately recognized and i was like oh yes hell yes uh he's a guy who doesn't have a lot a huge filmography and i've only seen this in boys in the hood but i i do like both of those movies but he was one man where it was just it was we were along for the ride with him Everybody mm -hmm. else, their transformation kind of happened behind closed doors, uh, except for the one that we got to physically watch change. But mm -hmm. we, we, we got with him. And so it become, it, it also becomes this, this really weird idea of, so as, as, I, as I broke this one down, because this one stood with me, I started to, to, to kind of connect some, some dots here and try to figure something out. And, uh, this is a long shot reference, but stick with me. So in okay. um, in Infinity War, mm -hmm. everybody turns to dust immediately, right? It just happens. They don't know what's going to happen, then it happens, except for Peter Parker, because mm -hmm. his spider sense alerts him to the fact that something's about to go horribly wrong, and then he's dusted. Mm -hmm. There's When we first see Calder's after he's changing, we we see him singing Amazing Grace. And when we see him kill himself, which nobody else did, everybody else was either killed or just turned. And so there's this idea that I've had where maybe he was a very spiritual person who was also a scientist. And that had to be broken down before he could be fully converted. And then when he was after killing him, which is probably, which in my opinion is why he killed himself because he could feel this evil coming on for everybody else. It was, okay. a, it was a switch that flipped mm -hmm. for him. There was, there was something inside him that was fighting this. And that is why he attempted to take his own life before it became a problem. Then when he comes back, there's still a part of him that's fighting for who he used to be. And that's why he has that mental breakdown in front of the mirror, because that one little bit can see in the mirror, the guy that he used to be, but the, the part that is now taken over is, is finding is finding humor in the fact that it is broken down and destroyed. What was a spiritually strong person. And that's Ooh, why that's that, interesting. That's why that laugh is so bizarre because it's, it's it's frantic and it's pathetic because it's it's him remembering what he was and it's also heinous and hilarious because it is satan realizing that he's taken one of the strongest soldiers on his first night here right and so whether or not i pulled all of that out of my ass for the next for the past 24 hours <laughs> it's why he has stuck with me as a character because i think that there is a remarkable amount of analysis and depth to be had out of this character who probably has 
four lines of dialogue in the movie. You have no idea how much that logic and reasoning just turned me on. (laughs) (laughs) Because I, I, I have considered that Uh, not, not your, uh, not your logic there, but why that kind of breakdown happens in front of the mirror. And what I came up with was something that was not nearly as romantic, not, (laughs) not, not nearly as analytical. And it's, it's much more um, cold and logical, which is normally not me. Right. Um, I thought he found a mirror and he found a mirror that was large enough to pull um, Satan's father out. Right. And he was so overwhelmed with joy that he was the one who found it. Okay. He, he, favor would fall upon him. And so he, um, in this sort of like childlike innocence where um, like everything that you are is stripped away and all you are is a minion. um, He forgets. Right. He doesn't go find anyone. He doesn't tell anyone. He's just like, I am so going to be rewarded for this. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it almost like, um, fuck, what's the movie I'm thinking of? Uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights, where uh, where Hazim goes to say that, yeah. you know, he, uh, Robin is, is, is going to give up uh, King Richard, you know, uh, he's like, you know, of course, if I'm wrong, I'll be in deep shit, you know, uh, but he's just so excited that he's fucking skipping. And, and that's that's what I thought was going on there with him. OK, I can see that, too. Yeah, uh, I like yours better. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> um, so for me, there's um, there's two that I'm going to mention, um, and neither of them are going to be Donald Pleasance because we've talked about Donald Pleasance so much. Yeah, that um, I I see an opportunity to talk about actors that we uh, that we don't normally do. All right, I love Donald Pleasance. The, the guy is, uh, for me, like on the same level as Peter Cushing, Boris Karloff, um, you know, Bella Lugosi. He's up there, right? Um, so for me, who really, really, like I, I gravitate to is um, Victor Wong and Dennis Dunn. Yeah. Um, and I'll talk about Wong first. There's... Wong is an actor who, since the time that I was a child, um, I loved because I grew up watching those three ninja movies. Yeah. Which, um, by the way, do not hold up. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, it, if it weren't for nostalgia, I don't know that I would ever watch those. Colt, Tum Tum, and... Rocky. Rocky. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know that I would ever watch them again if it weren't for nostalgia, because I, I put on um, the original three ninjas for uh, for Link a couple of years ago. And I was like, oof, <laughs> that's rough. Uh, but, you know, the, the nostalgia was there. But even so, with that very mediocre material, Victor Wong, for me, was like a like a Mr. Miyagi. 
you know, yeah. uh, he was like a Yoda. He he was, you know, the the sage on the stage. He's the guy that you're going to listen to and you're going to learn something from. Um, and and it's it's going to be stuff that, that sticks with you. And he has that same uh, persona here. Um, it's not as paternal, uh, but it is just as delicate there's a there's a delicateness to to his character where there's there's a respect and there's a reverence for everything and everyone um and uh, i love there's there's a, a throwaway line where he's telling the class that he's going to offer um very generous grading yeah. Uh, for those that decide to help him out and that some of them really need the extra help. <laughs> uh, you know, there's 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 a way that he says it that, that reminds me of some of my favorite professors um, in college where like these people seem to really care about you as as a as a student, but also their ultimate goal was to make sure that knowledge had been transferred to make sure that there had been a preservation of knowledge, that there had been a growth of intellect. And you get that in him as Birak. There's, um, there's a wisdom there that um, I, I don't know if he ever was a teacher. I don't know if he had teachers in his personal life that uh, really touched him. Maybe some people in his family were teachers, but he has that quality, that Mr. Feeney quality that um, I don't think can be taught. Right. Like that's you either have it or you don't. And I see it in people at work um, and, and people that I have worked with in the past. Some of them. Fantastic, amazing teachers without even trying. Some of them have to try their damnedest to be good teachers. And um, he doesn't have to try. Right. There's 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 something innate that 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 drives it. Uh, Dennis Dunn for me is okay. Hold on, but before you move on to Dennis Dunn okay. about Victor Wong, yeah, my favorite line in the movie is delivered by him, and he he wakes up and he's just had the not a dream dream. Yes, and he and he's sitting there with Donald Pleasance, and uh, and Donald's like, and and the priest is like, what would you dream about? Tell me. And he's kind of still waking up, and he says uh, he says. Uh, your kingdom does not include my unconscious and I'm free to what abuse a, it in any which in any way that I please. What an awesome fucking line. Oh my God. It was so good. And he delivered it so masterfully. Just like just the way he just put it all out there. There was there was there was no there was no rebuttal. It was just like, okay, yep, yeah. yep, yep. <laughs> and I mean, it was just like that. That's one of the first times I've ever like word for word, like written down a line in my notes because it was just so amazing the way that he said that where it was, you know, even if even if even if your God is real and everything you believe in is is what's true, what's up here that that's mine. And you right. don't get any piece of this. And I love that so much. Well, and that's that's classic um, like education philosophy. Um, you can you can take my home, you can take my clothing, you can take my food, you can take my freedom, but you cannot take the knowledge that I hold in my mind. And right. it's one of the reasons why the very first thing that a totalitarian government um, will do is um, like 
nationalize schools. Right. Because if you can control what's being taught, then yes, you can control what's inside someone's mind. And, uh, and to me that that's, that is my favorite line. Yeah. Because uh, there's, and, and again, it's delivered with, with such a, such a truth to it. Yeah. You know? uh, because there's an acknowledgement that like your religion, your belief, your faith, there's some truth to it because there's, there's the proof. The proof is in the pudding and that green pudding down there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but also leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just, yeah. Like, like it, that, that was that, that, that one struck hard. I loved that line. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that line up. Um, and then with, with Dennis Dunn, um, I've only ever seen him in two movies in this and in uh, big trouble in little China. Right. But there is such an amazing energy that he brings to the screen Fuck! I fall in love with every character that he uh, th that I've seen him play uh, because there's there's a sort of cocky awkwardness to him that he does really really well um, when he gets trapped in the closet and they finally I mean after hours um, the uh, the two girls start breaking down the closet door <laughs> and. That's when he fucking freaks and he he says, get me the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he starts going crazy trying to open up the 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 wall. It's like, shit, dude, you could have done this from the beginning. Like you were just kind of sitting back. And right? it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll let them come rescue me. Um, it's 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 such a great comedic character in a movie that doesn't have very much comedy. Um, and and so I, I think when you have such dark material. It's important that what few humorous moments you do have really do land, and every joke lands with him. Did anybody ever tell you you could pass for Asian? <laughs> <laughs> so good. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, it was he. He's he's one that that I really I did greatly greatly enjoy. Uh, but there is one other character that's going to kind of bridge the gap into our next uh, category, mm -hmm. and that is the 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 hobo version of Alice Cooper that we got here. What a, what a great character! What a what an amazing character for somebody who has zero lines, doesn't say right. a single thing. Yeah. Um. But uh, he Alice Cooper is the 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 what seems to be the leader of what we're calling the sleepers, right? Mm -hmm. These very different idea of what a movie monster can be. You know, they're 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 scary, but for very much their own reason. There's there's a lot to them. But there's not a lot to them. They're right. there's they're interesting, interesting characters. So I mean, do the sleepers work for you? The sleepers do work for me uh, because the very premise of the movie is what makes the sleepers work. The fact that there's a shared dream that ev everyone within the vicinity of um, the Satan goop is what I'm right. going to call it, right? Um, everyone within the vicinity of the Satan goop is affected by it. Um, and we come to find out, you know, that it's because of the, the Deus Ex Machina, the Tachyon. Right. Right. Um, but it also affects others in different ways. Um, and so this homeless community 
that is really what this church was ministering to. Um, they're being affected by the sleeper. Yeah. And they are being turned into like an army of sleepers. He is, uh, we find out that he's too weak to have a physical, like a corporeal um, self. That it's really just a, um, a, a presence right now. And that um, there needs to be some sort of transfer of consciousness uh, to a host right. that will uh, that will help the sleeper awaken, like in Ghostbusters too. Yes, exactly, like in <laughs> Ghostbusters too. Um, <laughs> I'm curious, what year was Ghostbusters two? Um, first one was eighty four. Uh, first one was 84, 80, 80, 89. No, it wasn't, it wasn't that long before Ghostbusters 2. Um, I'm trying to remember. I was, I mean, it, it 1989. Made, yeah. 89. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. um, you know, uh, as they say in South Park, Simpsons did it. <laughs> um, I, I, I love this idea that this, this army of sleepers is going to do your bidding until you're strong enough to do it yourself um and it needs to be him it needs to be the sleeper to awaken his father to pull the father out of um the darkness um and i i i love the mythology here of the light side and the dark side that's classic you know um star wars um i mean the the fucking bible Right, you know, exactly. it's 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 uh, it's a tale as old as time, literally, and um and it plays with it in such a unique way because it's um I don't know if there's some inspiration in Superman there, you know, with the Phantom Zone and you know the way that uh, Richard Donner did it with you know being trapped in a mirror. Right. Um. I, I I don't know, but they talk about mirror dimensions in the movie as well as a possibility for like antimatter. And um, like uh, a god and an anti god, an anti god. Yeah, everything um, has an opposite, right? And so, like everything equates back to something scientific. And so, this idea that there's almost a um, insidious like backwards realm where um, Satan's father was banished to, like that's fascinating to me. So like that whole mythology works and the way that the sleepers themselves just like snap out of it at the end of the movie. Like it's so it's creepy but it makes sense. Right. Because it's like you're no longer receiving the signal. It's like a it's like a radio wave. If I were to completely, you know, shut off my Wi-Fi right now, we would not be able to do this. Right. Because you wouldn't be receiving my signal anymore. And so whatever conversation you're having with me ends. And now it's either a monologue or you just go about your business and you rejoin the play. And that's that's what happens there. And so every single one of the murders that happens, it's really not the the homeless that's doing it. It's not Alice Cooper. It's not that creepy lady with a really weird voice. With the really weird voice. Yeah. You know, I, I that scared me almost more than anything else. The thank you, father. Uh -huh. like, oh, my God. No, stop. Stop talking. Stop yeah, talking or, right or, now. Or when Wyndham talks. 
when he's i've i've the got a, i've got a me- yeah the, i've got a message for you pray for death but yeah it's yeah. like that weird like you're talking through water thing yeah yeah and, and it's because he's talking through beetles he's talking through insects yeah right uh and and then there's that whole idea that like the sleeper can influence lower life forms really easily but it takes a lot more energy to influence the the greater life forms and then again going back to like that almost aids like transference of uh of evil where um it's that first blast of energy that hits um uh susan Mm -hmm. right and and then from from susan to uh to kelly and you know everyone that that gets it right um they work for me in in a great great way i i love them i think they're terrifying but to me, nothing is as terrifying as that image that we see in their dream of this almost like Nosferatu style, yeah, um, like visage that's silhouetted against, uh, you know, this this backlight in the church in Saint Goddard's, and um, like that is the sleeper. It is yeah. the sleeper. It's the one, and. It's like I'm thinking about it again now and I've got goosebumps again. And it's it is fucking terrifying. This thing, you cannot stop it. No matter what you do, it will come. It's fate. Right. Um, it, 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 there's there's notes of like Terminator thrown in there with like, you know, there's no fate but what you make for yourself. And and there's also, I think, this um dichotomy that you see present in the church this idea that there's god's will but there's also free will right god's plan but you have free will so which which one is it is it does does god influence what happens in the world with his plan or are we all just living our own lives and and our free will is what makes things happen no one has ever been able to give me a, a real explanation for that. And that's part of the reason why I, I really don't have much love for uh, for theology because it doesn't make sense to me. Right. But um, but maybe there is a way that it can make sense in in this way where it's like, yeah, you influenced it. You changed it. But causality loop. Yeah, uh, it's. When when you look at the the sleepers as they turn, it's a it's a really scary thing, and it's it's interesting because what made the thing so scary was that you didn't know, even the person who was the thing didn't know. And right. the, the sleepers are scary for the opposite reason, which is you you know, and they're coming at you in mass. They're 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 shuffling to you and they're going to get their business done. And we've seen that they handle business efficiently when that lady kills Wyndham with half of a pair of shears. I mean, we we know that we know that they are brutal, that there are no limits to the things that they're going to do. We also know if you've ever visited a major city that that idea of, uh, you know, what are often referred to as the invisibles. Right. The, the people who in that that's who it was. That's who it was affecting. And suddenly something that that you may that a lot of people have kind of an innate fear of just just and, and it, they're they're intimidated by they're scared by this idea of of 
of the homeless, which is not an uncommon thing. You know, it's, it's always one of those there before the grace of God things, right? Like you, you see somebody and it makes you face what could happen to you. And so when the homeless population in this area takes is, is getting in their faces and suddenly the invisibles are what are out to get you. That's really scary. And I think that for a lot of people, that idea really strikes because I think there are a lot of people who would watch this movie and and be like, oh, I'm always kind of afraid when I drive under a bridge and I see somebody who lives there. Mm-hmm. Right. Even though I don't know that person and I have no reason right. to be scared of them. It's it's a it's a like you said earlier, it's a primordial thing. It, it, it resonates. Mm-hmm. And so now you take what is an innately kind of subconscious fear that a lot of people have. And you make the invisibles very, very visible. And you make them the driving force, not only in being bad guys, but or movie monsters, but in being the 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 worker ants for a an a, an evil power mm-hmm. and i think that that's a really smart move i think that it, it strikes a lot of people just the right way i think that you get you know you've got the idea to you know you you just kind of they're they're very what was it from zoolander derelict right <laughs> you know like it's, yeah it's you know they they've, they've got just the the typical look but it's that it's that that idea that you take something that even though nobody really openly admits it, that everybody has a little bit of, if not fear, standoffishness about mm-hmm. and you shove it in their face. And a, when you're looking at a bunch of people who are going to what seems to be some sort of Ivy League school. Right. I mean, this right. is one of the top theoretical physicists in the world teaching there. So you've got to assume that this is a, a high quality school. So you've also got to kind of assume that all of these people trapped in this situation, the idea of of homeless and of being homeless is is so far from their mind that, yeah, that probably is something terrifying for them. These are people mm-hmm. who probably live cushy lives. So when you when you when you mask the the greater evil in something that not only your viewers are afraid of, but are something that it's a very short line to draw to assume that your characters in the movie are going to be very afraid of. I think that you create a very efficient movie monster and efficient, not like, like not only efficient in how well it scares, but efficient in how little you had to do to make them scary. Yeah. They really didn't have to do that much. Yeah. There's the weird voice. She stabs, you know, she gets stabbed with the shears. Um, the one dude just, just gets skewered, right? They, they did plenty to, to be scary, but let's face it coming on the heels of the thing. There was a lot of special effects that went into making the thing scary. The dog itself wasn't scary, even once we knew it was the thing. It was a, it was a cute dog. It was like a Malamute or something, or you okay. know, whatever. But you you took something, and there are not a lot of special effects amongst the the sleepers that are the homeless population surrounding Saint Goddard's, and yet they're they're equally as effective as being scary. And I mean, it's it's the model of efficiency for making a good movie monster that a lot of people can relate to. Yeah. I, um, man, I, I, I agree on, on all accounts there. Um, that kind of leaves us with just one area to talk about. 
uh, before we get into ratings. And it's uh, exactly the same thing we talked about last week. And as this is a, uh, a trilogy of movies, kind of makes sense. And it's something that we're calling Apocalypse Ability. Right. And um, so we have a different but yet still doomsday scenario here. Mm-hmm. Um, how does this work for you? And now, now here, I know we, we don't often compare movies to other movies, but I do feel like there has to be some sort of comparison here. I, I'm um, okay, good. I'm, I'm glad you're on board because if you would have um, contested that, I would have said, Hey, listen, man, I don't want to fight. <laughs> You, know, you don't have to. Uh, I would have wiped my ass with that and would have gone ahead and compared. <laughs> so, um, what uh, what do you think about this apocalypse scenario? Well, and and how how does it fare compared to the thing? Right, and and I think that I think that the only way you this this is when we're talking about apocalypse ability, we've got to look at something that's a sliding scale and we've got to Mm -hmm. find where all of these things fall in comparison to the other. So I think it's great that we're doing that. uh, So last week I said that the thing was, I believe the scariest possible end of world scenario for me. And I am sticking with that. I do think that this is slightly less scary of an end of world scenario solely because of the fact that at least if, if the if the green goo Satan gets loose and his father gets pulled into into our time, our reality, our our existence of being, that at least you can kind of look around and you almost immediately have a pretty good idea like who's good and who's not, right? Yeah. Like they're they're covered in lesions or they're completely stoic and trying to kill you immediately. <laughs> I, I there's 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 a little bit of comfort. In knowing that you would know who your allies were in this situation, which is something that the that the thing just completely destroyed. Uh, and so I think that when you look at the thing, that was scarier. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it changes the fact that this is still a really scary way to think about yeah. the world ending. I think that for a lot, I think, and... Uh, this is you, you know what no we, we we say stuff about religion all the time there are a lot of people who would revel in this being the end of world scenario because finally they're right you know there there are there are a lot of people who if this happens and this goes down all of those the end is near you know get right yeah. or get left people they they are they they're 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 in heaven right now right this is their shit like they <laughs> Knew it, told you, fuck y'all, we win, right? That's, there are a lot of people who would really enjoy this one. There are a lot of people who would be like, "Mm, damn, I fought so long for this to not even be a thing. And now here it is in my face. But all of the people in the middle, which I think that we can really acknowledge are the the majority. We're not the vocal, you know, part of what happens a lot of times in news and politics. But a lot of people in the middle are going to find this to be terrifying because like you, so many people grew up in it and have moved on, but it, it's still there. Right. It's still there. You can't, like you said, you can't take my knowledge. I, I did years of summer uh, of Sunday school. I did years yeah. of youth ministry. It's there. I know the stories. I, I know how these things, you know, could go based on this book. And so I think that that it becomes very scary for all those people who kind of 
sat on the fence and, and didn't go one way or the other. And, and, and it's something that seems to spread very quickly. So let's go ahead and, you know, l- l- that point is, is also, also, I think that it's really skit like the, the, the translations are, are fucking horrifying. Those yeah. are some of the most scary things I've ever seen on a computer screen in a movie. <laughs> um, the, the whole, where it's, it's the like, kind of thing you find in the dark net. Yes. Where, when it's like, uh, where it's like, uh, Christ can't save you, your God plutonium can't save you. It's like, whoa, like, what? Yeah, yeah, and they oh. never explained that. It's just like, whoa, hang on a second. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that stuff. That stuff was was mind blowingly scary. So, I, I'm I'm terrified by the fact there's a book out there that says this stuff. But uh, I, I do think that it's that it's very scary. But I do think it is slightly less scarier than the thing. Um. So I. I want to agree and disagree. Um, what scares me most about the thing is exactly the same thing that you said. You don't know who you can trust. And that leads to isolationism. And isolationism never ends well. Right. Um, that's scary. What is most scary to me about this is that it seems like it cannot be stopped. There is no stopping it. Um the message in the dream is as follows. This is not a dream. We're using your brain's electrical system as a receiver. We are unable to transmit through conscious neural interference. You are receiving this broadcast as a dream. We are transmitting from the year 1999. You are receiving this broadcast in order to alter the events you are seeing. Our technology has not developed a transmitter strong enough to reach your conscious state of awareness. But this is not a dream. You are seeing what is actually occurring for the purpose of causality violation. That's terrifying. Yeah. yeah, That's like, I'm I'm reading it. I know it's my voice, but I'm hearing the words. I'm like, fuck, who thinks of this shit? Right. Um, Here's the thing about the movie that isn't the thing. Um, (laughs) When we see that dream that is not a dream, every single time it's that sort of like vampiric looking character that's silhouetted in the doorway until Catherine sacrifices herself and launches um, the sleeper into the dark realm. When we see the dream next and it plays out in its entirety, it's Catherine. Yeah. It's framed in the doorway and it's the same exact message. Even uniting Father and son, evil father and son, right? Anti-God, anti-Jesus. In the dark realm, someone is going to awaken the sleeper. Right. It is going to happen. And there is nothing that you can do about it. And here's the fucked up thing. It's the same year. It's still 1999 that they're broadcasting from. Like, you literally changed nothing. Yeah, it's... it's it's that whole time travel trope of like, oh, all we did was cause this to happen. We didn't right. stop anything from happening. Exactly. So, like, what is the causality violation that's happening here? Is it that you're hoping that the causality violation is that they change the outcome and that no one walks out of that church? Or is the causality violation that you're forcing it to happen? Who's on the other side of that tachyon emitter? Yeah. I don't know. 
and just, you don't know is that the sleeper hoping to awaken someone right i mean it's and also shout out to john carp like Blade Runner came out in 1982, was placed mm-hmm. in 2019, right? So it's like, okay, this is 37 years away. John Carpenter goes, this is 12 years away. So yeah. uh, get your shit together. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. We got like no fucking time. Yeah. No, you you better figure it out because this is a coming. And I just, I love the one. It was like, it was like one nine. And I was like, it doesn't matter where he goes from here. This shit's happening soon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's happened. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's happened today, you know? Um, and to, to me, like the, that really open ended finale where uh mustache is there holding his hand out to the mirror yeah what is gonna happen there and does that change the the dream that's not a dream again is it then him who comes out of there uh or is that the one that finally saves the world Right. And that that masterful cut of right before his hand touches the mirror. So you mm-hmm. don't know if it's going to go through or not. What a oh, what a brilliant just just end of movie, because it was like, oh, man, is he going to touch his hand? Is it going to go through? And then it just ends. And it's like the end of Inception. You yeah. don't know if his hand went through the mirror. And it was wonderfully, wonderfully done again. John Carpenter. Amazing at what he does. So I'll ask you the same question I asked you last week. What do you think the real ending is? I, uh, I, hmm, I didn't even think about this till right now. And, and as I was saying it, I kind of started to think, so if, if the, the, the broadcast is the same, right. And it's, and it's his girl who starts to walk through, there's a part of me that wants the real ending to this to be as he touches his hand pushes through and he, in a moment of weakness is the one who pulls her through trying mm-hmm. to save her and he he's the one who officially jump starts the apocalypse by pulling her through without knowing she has now become the vessel for the dark one interesting interesting so you last week i think i went more uh negative and you, you did because you were positive. like they're, they're both the thing yeah right um i think we're gonna reverse it this time because i think that he pulls away before he touches the mirror. I think okay. that I think that he's too afraid because he saw it happen. And the scientist in him says, how do I make it so that it never happened? Right. And I think he's the voice that they hear in the transmission. Oh, OK. And I, I, I think that he's the one who creates this tachyon beam. And I think that he's the, I mean, he's the one who explains it. Right. You know, so it's like, if he had this idea back then, what if he's the one who creates all this? And then he's in effect, the one who's responsible for Catherine getting sucked in in the first place. Okay. All right. I like So, it. yeah. And then like, he's, he's got to live with this at some point. He's going to realize like, fuck, it was me. I was responsible. And um, I mean, there's. There's events that crush our collective worlds and there's events that crush our individual worlds and they are just as deadly one as the other. Right. And so his apocalypse, if that's the way it ends, is that moment where he realizes, had I not created that tachyon beam, I don't know that any of this would have happened. Because at the very least, 
I would have been with her this whole time. All right, I like it. I like it. It sounds good. Yeah. So yeah, we, yeah, we flip flopped on that one. We, we, yeah. we, we changed it up there. I, I definitely went a little bit darker. So, all right. Well, that's going to take us to the point in the show where we rate this thing. And it just like as a reminder to everybody who listens to the show, every movie is in, a, is in of itself its own piece of art. So we are going to rate this movie only against itself. So while we do compare the apocalypse ability of this movie to the thing, we are not going to be directly comparing this to the thing. Our rating for this movie is standalone. And that is why for every movie, we create a unique rating system. And for this movie, something that, you know, I... One thing about an episode like this and what I consider to be some of our better episodes are the ones where it's not 90 minutes of us just referencing, oh, that scene was so cool. No, that yeah. scene was so cool, right? There was there was a legitimate 90 minutes worth of breakdown in this. So if you're just listening, you haven't actually seen it, this one's not going to mean a thing to you. But out of a possible five weaponized bicycles... <laughs> what do you give prince of darkness day um you know i i know that i love this movie and um up until this moment right now i had no idea what score i was going to give it i knew it was going to be a good score but i didn't know how good it was going to be but after discussing this movie for the last hour and 20 minutes i can't find a single flaw with this movie for me um on on my personal level, I think that this is a movie that um, that speaks to the person that I was. It speaks to the person that I am uh, because it speaks to the um, the believer that I was, and it speaks to the skeptic that I am today. And um, that's kind of amazing that a movie can manage to do both those things. Um, this is one that I don't rewatch often. In fact, I think upon this rewatch, it was maybe my third time watching it. Right. Um, maybe it's one I got to throw into the rotation more uh, because I'm going to give this five weaponized bicycles. Um, to me, I can't find a single issue with this movie, including Alice Cooper. Fuck man. <laughs> you know, um, one of the greatest rock and rollers of all time without it. And, uh, and also like one of the creepiest looking dudes of all time. So, Correct. you know, match made in, in horror movie heaven. Uh, I am. So I said at the top, right. I I've been, I've been on, on just both sides. Of, I've been in both end zones of this one. And, and I've had moments in the past 24 where I was like, I did not like it. Something didn't sit right. And I've been in one where I'm like, this was incredible. And so, and like you said, after an hour and 20 of talking with it, I can't find anything that, that, that now after just saying it out loud, you know, sometimes just that idea of, of it, of getting it out. So it's a, a linear stream of thought, which is, I, I, you know, I don't know what everybody's brains are like, but mine is. Mine is a swamp at best, right? And I'm just, I'm just sticking my hands down into the muck and seeing what I pull up. So sometimes when I can, so sometimes when I, when I can, when I can make that clear path, and it really shores things up for me. I, I love the characters in this. I love the theology in this. I love the science and the science fiction in this. I, I like I said at the beginning, I love the score in this. Man, this is a tense yeah. ass score. This is. This it's that I mean it's that telltale carpenter electronica 
I don't know if I don't. It's like it's like you put a banjo on a theremin. Like I don't. <laughs> I, I don't I love know. That. <laughs> I don't know how he's doing it, but it, it it strikes at me. I but there's still something about it, and it may just be because it's my first watch where I'm not gonna hit quite at the five. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna put this at four and a half weaponized bicycles, and it's something that another rewatch now with a clear plan of kind of what I'm looking at after a rewatch, I may redux this in a year or so and, and move it up to a five, but there's still just something like the fact that I still had to kind of pull myself into this keeps me away from mm-hmm. giving it a five. Yeah. Uh, that that's where that half bicycle is. You know, my, my, my last one, it's, it's just handlebars and a, and a, and a front wheel. It's that it, the, the last half of that weaponized bicycle is in the fact that, Five stars I tend to reserve for something that as soon as it's done, I'm pretty much like, yeah, all right, yeah that's five. That that's was the five. One. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. And it didn't hit me like that, but it's because I was trying to keep my head above water with all of this that we just put out uh, for the people. So I'm going to go four and a half weaponized bicycles on this one. That's Man, I, um, I love your reasoning for that too. Um, I, can't, I, I can't be mad about that. Uh, particularly because uh, when you average out four and a half and five, you get 4.75, which rounds up. Uh, and uh, and so it is five. Uh, it's going to be five here uh, for Prince of Darkness, uh, which somehow is uh, less than the thing. <laughs> right. But of course, uh, we're, we're, we're not comparing apples to apples. Uh, we're comparing weaponized bicycles to... Um, Chest chompers. Chest chompers. That's right. Uh, and those are different things. Yeah, they are uh, very different things. Yeah, still deadly, but different things. Um, and so uh, so there you have it. Prince of Darkness, uh, five out of five. And uh, we will be back next week with uh, some more John Carpenter goodness, um, where we will be reviewing the final installment in the Aquas trilogy, in the mouth of madness. Yeah, uh, very excited about this one. We're going to have on Tyler Naif, who we mentioned mm-hmm. uh, last week, had uh, us and a bunch of our previous guest hosts on to his uh, uh, YouTube channel, Off Meta, to mm-hmm. play a game called Blood on the Clock Tower, where we were well out of our depth, but had a blast <laughs> for two hours. Um, I need to check with him on the exact release date because we didn't we didn't stream that when he recorded it for uh, later release. Okay. So keep an eye on our social media. We'll let you know when we're going to be on there because we had so much fun uh, learning a new game, uh, met a bunch of great people, had some really good conversations. It was a ton of fun. So make sure if you head over to YouTube that you not only check, a, check us out at ShiverPod, but did you check him out at Off Meta Gaming? Off Meta Gaming is his channel. They play a lot of different stuff. Um, main one being Blood on the Clock Tower, which is a social deduction game where we, I, I'm pretty sure most of us were dead before we were like, hey, I get how this game works. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'm anyway, sorry man, about that, by the way. Oh, uh, uh, th- yeah. That was largely my fault. <laughs> Look, I, I, won't, I won't explain why he's apologizing in case anybody wants to go watch that. But after you watch it, you'll understand why Dave, yes, right. owes me an apology. So thank you. <laughs> uh, so anyway, make sure you check us out on all the social medias. We are at ShiverPod. Everywhere you can find us, we're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and YouTube, all at ShiverPod. You can download us wherever you get your podcast. You can watch us live if you just want to see our beautiful faces and watch Dave get goosebumps in person. 
You can find us on YouTube. Yeah. We of course record every Wednesday at eight seven. Uh, excuse me, nine eight central. There you go. Uh, nine eight central. You can watch us live on any of those things. We stream on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And if you're watching live, you can comment and let us know what you think. Uh, I know it's a weird time. Everybody's getting back into school. We're missing some of y'all. We're missing some of your comments. So if you're listening, come back and join us for Mouth of Madness. We're gonna have a lot of fun finishing up this trilogy. And we've got something awesome planned for February we'll tell you about next week. Absolutely. So on behalf of all of us here at Shiver, write you very much.